Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Today's show is brought to you by Bona. Bona makes it easy to care for your hardwood floors with innovative products that give you a daily clean, a timeless shine, and a lifetime of protection. Water-based solutions and GreenGuard Gold Certification ensure a safe product for your family, pets, and our planet. It comes ready to use, just spray and mop. Bona Hardwood Floor Cleaner is available at most retailers where floor cleaning products are sold on Amazon and on Bona.com. For cleaning tips and exclusive offers, visit Bona, B-O-N-A dot com slash happy hour. Happy October, you guys. It is always exciting to get to October because in Austin, things start changing a little bit. We get some cooler temperatures. Maybe we start to see some pumpkins everywhere. We get into fall. Football is in full swing. And so happy October, no matter where you are. I want to tell you before I introduce our guest for today's show, I'm going to be in two places this week coming up. The first place I'll be is the ERLC, which is the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm going to be at their national conference. It's called Caring Well, Equipping Churches to Confront the Abuse Crisis. And this conference is going to feature survivors, experts, pastors, and advocates who are all there in hopes to equip Christians on the subject of abuse and related issues to empower their churches as they go back to in the process of becoming a safe place for survivors and safe from abuse. So I'm honored to go and do a small talk on Friday night. Most importantly, I'm honored to sit in that room and learn. I want to be a learner. And so I'll be there. If you're there, please come say hi. If you're interested in this conference, I do believe that they live stream the main session. So check that out. The next place I'll be is on Saturday night, if you're listening to this live, and I'll be at the Horses and Hope Benefit. It is a night benefiting Blue Sky Therapeutic Writing and Respite, which my friend Amy Gayhart runs. And if you've been around the show forever, you know that my best friend Amy, who was the very first guest on this happy hour ever, which you guys, side note, I pulled up the Happy Hour podcast that you're listening to right now. I pulled it up on Spotify the other day just to see like, oh, this is really cool. Well, it starts at the very beginning and my ears were hurting at what we put out for that first episode. But I always say, you guys, you got to start somewhere. So back to Horses and Hope. This is for a benefit, benefiting the organization, Blue Sky Therapeutic Writing and Respite, which my friend Amy runs. I'm going to be there helping them raise money. Come on out. It's in Aubrey, Texas, which is north of Dallas. It's going to be a lot of fun. And you'll get to be a part of something bigger than yourself. So if you're going to be at either one of these events, the ERLC National Conference in Dallas or Horses and Hope north of Dallas in Aubrey, Texas, please come say hi. Today, my guest on the happy hour is my friend, Latasha Morrison. Tasha and I first met years ago when she invited me to be a part of this group that she was setting up. The group didn't even have a name. The group didn't have anything, but it was the original Be The Bridge group. You can hear all about that and how she started that when she was on episode number 44. She was here from the get-go as well, you guys. Go back and listen to episode number 44. Latasha is a diversity expert and a unity champion that is spearheading a global movement to equip Christians to be the bridge across the racial divide. With a surprising blend of unapologetic candor and genuine hope, she encourages the church to lead the charge in the pursuit of justice and reconciliation. We talk about this work that she's been doing. We talk about how the group started. We talk about her new book, which is called Be the Bridge, and it's coming out next week. 
It's firmly rooted in biblical principle of reconciliation. Be the Bridge is a power-packed guide, inspiring and equipping Christians to dismantle barriers and pursue racial unity. You guys, I read this book this summer. I'll never forget where I read it. I was on the beach in Panama City. I read this book front to back and loved every single word. I cried reading this book. I lamented reading this book. I was encouraged reading this book. I was inspired. Um, I was humbled. I was pointed to Jesus, and she is leading the charge on something that the church can be a part of. And so I want to encourage you to get the book, listen to the conversation, which side note here, you guys, if you're a part of our Patreon party, we have something fun coming up for you with this book and with the book club. So if you are a party guest out of our Patreon party, and it is a party, you guys, we're going to do a book club mini series. We're going to finish out the year with a book club, which means every month we're going to read a book together. And I love reading. And this is a great time of year to read because you can turn that fireplace on. You can sit with a blanket. You can get a cup of coffee or tea and read your book. So the very first book we're going to read is actually this book, Be the Bridge. So this episode is kind of kicking us off. Go to jamieivy.com slash Patreon. And there's going to be all the details you need over there for joining our book club. This book club portion of Patreon is just one of the things that we do over there. So we do lots of things. So come check it out. We're going to be reading Latasha's book together, and we're going to talk with her live in our Patreon party. Again, that's jamieivy.com slash Patreon. Latasha and I also talk about the importance of engaging and celebrating singles in the church. She's a single woman who's doing incredible things for the Lord and in her life. She loves the church. But our conversation, it was very evident that sometimes if we're honest, it can sometimes feel as though the church is not loving singles as well as they could. So we go there today. We talk about it. And it's a really great conversation for all of us in the church to hear, whether you are single or married. All right, you guys, happy October. I hope it's beginning to feel like fall wherever you are. Here's my conversation with my friends that I adore and love and respect, Latasha Morrison. Latasha, welcome to the happy hour. Happy to be here. This, I'm so excited. This is so fun because I knew you before the happy hour started. Yes, I knew you when you were just Jamie without the happy hour. That's right. Yes, I'm so excited. I'm in your tiny house. I'm so excited. <laughs> You're back in Austin. Yes, I'm here. I just spoke at a church here. Oh, so good. Yes, I'm visiting Austin now. I, I used know. to live here. That's when I knew you, but now you're in Atlanta. I'm in Atlanta, yes. I'm in the ATL. I love it. I'm glad to be back. But Austin is still home to me. You know, I, li- I love being here. I love to visit. I mean, the heat is still bad. It's hot in Atlanta, but it's a different say. hot. It's a different hot here. Okay. It's a different hot. Is it more humid here? It's an oppressive hot. Okay, yeah. <laughs> like you feel like, like, yes. like the, like, the heat from Satan is coming yeah, down exactly. on you. You just have an attitude for no reason. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what's wrong? It's hot. It's that's hot. what's wrong. That's what's, that's what's wrong. I'm hot. <laughs> yes, yes. Maybe that's why when I'm like, kids, y'all need to go outside and play. They're like, mom, please. Exactly. I, I would, I would, would resist. Like I would rebel. No, I would not <laughs> go outside and play. <laughs> um, okay. Welcome to Austin. Welcome to my so tiny good. house. It is so good to see you. Uh, we, a lot of people who come on the show I've never met before, but we've been friends for yes, five years. Yes. And so it's fun. And I just need to tell you, we're going to talk a lot about this. Okay. But, and I know I texted you this this summer. I am so stinking proud of you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. That means I mean, a lot. I mean, like sister, like not mom, daughter proud, not right. teacher, like sister to sister. 
I am so proud of you. Thank you so much. That means a lot. Because just like I knew you before, you knew me before this was even a thought. Like, I did. Yeah. You know? Which when you when we were talking earlier, I started this show five years ago. Right. You started your very first Be The Bridge group, which we'll talk about and explain in a okay. minute, five years ago. Mm-hmm. A lot has happened to both of us a in lot, five years. A lot. We've tracked together. Like, Oh my gosh. I just need to get a tiny house now. You need a tiny house. I need a tiny house. And then everything, life will yeah. be great. It'd be a bridge house. A br- <laughs> I'll be the bridge house. I'll be the bridge house. <laughs> um, okay, so as we get started here, um, for listeners who don't know, you were on the show forever ago. Yes. Like in the 40s. Yeah, I think, I forget. I think you told me originally it was like 46. Oh my gosh. Show 46. It was, um, I think we talked. What did we talk about? In 2015. Yeah, it would have been the first year. Yeah, in 2015, we talked. I don't even remember. I think we talked about the conversation. Um, be the, I think at that point I had a name, we were talking about be the bridge and we were the groups and just stuff that just happened after the, um, 2015 if gathering, because yeah. you were on stage. Yes. People forget that you were actually on stage, a part of that conversation and you were actually in the first discussion around. Isn't that crazy? Um, yeah. I think this summer after I read your book, I went back and watched some of those videos. Oh my goodness. And a couple of things like stood out to me and we'll put a link in the show notes for these videos okay. because they're they're worth watching but a couple of things stood out to me mm-hmm. number one we've all come a long way yes <laughs> in all kinds of things like my hair was super short <laughs> I wasn't comfortable talking on a stage that much then wow. and this is a funny thing I'll never forget we you had us go around the table and say mm-hmm. what we did mm-hmm. and this would have been if gathering 2016 I bet um, that one was because I started 15. my show in 15 I think it was 15 Gracious. I think it was 15 because 16, we did an interview. You're right. It was 15. Yeah, it was 15. So it was February of 15. Yeah. So my show was like nine months old. Yeah. And I remember I was on stage and you had us introduce ourselves. And I said, my name is Jamie Ivey and I have a podcast, I think. That's what that's how I (laughs) said. That's what you said. That's what I said. And Aaron, my husband was like, girl, you need to own what you do. Don't ever do that again. And I was like. I know, babe. I get so nervous, but oh my goodness, that was we had this discussion. Wow, in front, and it was also maybe like a first time for me publicly to talk about hard things. Wow, and so you you have wow. just you have carried our hands for all these wow. years. Wow, and when we think back, it seems like years ago, but it's really not. I know that long. It's been a quick work. It has been a quick work, which you have done a quick work, which mm. I can't wait to see what the next twenty years look like for me wow. the bridge because. Wow. Of, Thank how you. quick yeah. you have started and right. how quick the momentum that you have right. gained right. in five years is unheard of. Yeah, yeah, I, I think mean, the work so. you've done. It's definitely a God thing. That's the only, that I, there's no explanation around it. It's like, for such a time as this, and I feel like when stuff like this happens, it is on God's heart, you know? So that's why I don't take the work lightly. That's really good. And I hold it with loose hands. That's you know? really good. Okay, so we're talking about the work. Let's fill people in in case they're not um, familiar with you and what you do. So just give us the the big picture of Be The Bridge. Okay, Be The Bridge is actually um, a organization, a nonprofit where we actually create materials and resources and tools to help people have a transformative and distinct conversation around racial healing in America. And um, I I always say America, but now this conversation has picked up and like um, 
in Canada and St. Croix. And we have groups in New Zealand that are launching off and um, that have launched. And, you know, even before some of the issues that happened there, there were two ladies that I, I forget how they heard about it, but it was through a podcast. Maybe the happy hour. You know, there was through a podcast <laughs> um, that she originally heard me on a podcast and was like, let me check this out. And so only thing they did, the process that we have is, you know, transferable. Um, and they just take it and insert their historical context and their stories, you know, from their country. Um, because the process of racial healing and reconciliation is the same. It's just the context and um, the experiences are different, That's you know, good. That's so good. it is something now I have to think more globally yeah. about as we're as we're developing even more resources and tools. So I love that it is this global initiative, which yes. makes perfect sense. I know because we're not the only country in this world that has had to exactly. deal with these exactly. type of injustices between mm-hmm. people. So, yeah, way to go. Way I to know. Go. It's just like at you. I would never. And I'm thinking like, maybe I need to dream bigger. Like, but it's it's kind of like one of those things where it's like this path that like, you know, you just, I'm just stepping on the next stone, you know, there's vision, but maybe I need to think bigger, you yeah. know, yeah. when I, with that. Well, I like to, the encouragement to listeners who are dreaming something big, not anything maybe like this, but are dreaming about doing something is that you didn't start with the global vision and you didn't no. start with the national vision. You started with Eight people in Austin, Texas. I didn't start with the church vision. I started with the Tasha vision. You did. Yeah. yeah. It was really for myself. Like, you know, I want to have this conversation and, you know, help the people that I'm connected with. And at that time, you know, if I'm going to be a part of this community of believers and, you know, I'm going to survive and thrive, we got to have this conversation, you know? And so that's what it was really about. And then, you know, kind of painting a picture with, um, you and Jenny and so many people that were like, this is a thing like this, this has helped me. Like we want our friends to experience this, you know, we want other people to experience this. That's the only reason why we're sitting here now. It's so Because crazy. who signs up for this? I don't know. I mean, Jenny who- invited me. I know. And I usually say yes to when Jenny invites me to things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny makes things happen, so I say yes. Yes. Um, but what we're speaking of, too, is that we you started this original group, mm-hmm. and I was very blessed and honored to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I, I have tell, shared this story often, so I'm going to share it now. Okay. I don't remember what meeting this was for the group. Okay. But one of the things you even write about in your book, mm-hmm. which comes out next week, is I think you tell maybe something like this story, but I remember mm-hmm. sitting around the group. I'm white. Maybe one, two, three other white girls. It was... Um, Me, myself, Jenny, Jessica, Becca. Yeah, and Laura. Laura. Laura oh, Choi. and Shelby. Oh my gosh, Shelby. Shelby, I know. Shelby wasn't there. Shelby. Okay, so yeah. six of us. So it was like six. And the rest were women of color. Yeah, the rest. And so we went around the table mm-hmm. and shared about experiences that you had in your yes. lifetime where you experienced um, mm-hmm. racism. And of course, every woman of color... Right. Probably had a plethora of times in their head to pull from. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I don't know why it had never dawned on me yet. Yeah, I remember sitting there thinking as you guys were sharing, and I remember thinking, I have nothing to share. Right. And it was in that moment that what you had set up, that room, that safe space, the ability to just mm-hmm. speak freely, everyone in there, that something clicked in my head. Mm-hmm. And so that is what this, wow. that is what... Yeah. Be yeah. the bridge is doing for yeah. all kinds of people. Yeah. 
Um, and so, gosh, I am just like, I literally am so proud of you. Mm. And you know, when I think back even to that space, although we were like trying to connect and bring people in, when as you're talking now, I'm thinking really that space for the women of color, we needed that space. We needed to talk about it. We need, for some of us in that room, that was the first time we had shared our experiences mm. because it hadn't been like a safe or brave space for us to do it in. Or if we've shared it before, it's been rejected mm. or, you know, explained away, mm-hmm. you know, and different things like that. So really, although, you know, you were a part of this process, but when I think back, it was such a healing moment for us to even share um, that because that's the first I mean you have to be vulnerable yeah. you know in order to do that and I was so glad when it came to, when it came to you when we were talking about this I think every lady in the room they weren't trying to make something up or try to make something happen like yeah like you know I I experienced oppression you know it was just kind of like I have nothing to share like and that to me that was actually healing like you know in the sense where You've, you're used to talking to people and they try to like one up you. you oh, know? yeah. Mm-hmm. It would have been if I would have been like, well, when I was in high school. Yeah. <laughs> like I uh, ran track. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Something. Uh, you guys in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. Um, you know, you bring up an interesting yeah. point that I think I'd like to dive into a little mm-hmm. bit is because I feel like that my women of color who will be listening will be thinking, well, I want that. Mm. And my majority culture women who are listening will be thinking two things. Either I want that or she's that's that's not that big of a yeah. deal. What's happening? Yeah. So let's talk about how do we recreate what you're talking about? And I know right. that's a part of your mission with yeah. the bridge, but how does the normal everyday person listening to the show 
and and they have a heart for this. So mm-hmm. we're going to leave out the people who right. say, yeah, yeah. We're, not even gonna, we're not trying to convince you. We're not trying to convince you. This another. is not for you to come and try to observe <laughs> and like, and try to be convinced that this is this. No, these are for people that are aware and they acknowledge and they see the brokenness and they want to be a part of the solution and they're willing to do the work. Yeah. Even just a small awareness. Like I think mm-hmm. it just takes a small little mustard yeah. seed to go, oh, I've never thought about this. Right. right. So, Tell us, how do we create that safe space? What does that even look like? And what does it look like for you and for me and for the people there? You had to be yeah. vulnerable. That was yeah. scary. We've, we've evolved so much even from the time we met because I, I used, I don't even really use the word safe space anymore because what I realize is that safe for me may not be safe for you. Okay. And safe for you may not be safe for me. Mm-hmm. But there's this thing, this other term we use now is called brave space. And so where we are coming into this space with courage, where we're realizing we're creating um, some elements of safety, but it's, we still have to be brave in this space. So I use the term brave space now. I like and, it. Um, and so it allows us to come into the space. And then also when we think about when we're talking about majority culture, when we're talking about, um, you know, people of color. There, we need different things. And one of the things when we're talking about bridge building, because we're called Be the Bridge to Racial Reconciliation. And we think about ra- racial reconciliation is about making things right, to repair that was was broken, to so that all may flourish. And so if you have a group that has been marginalized and their voices have not been lifted, it's not a, a bridge, the bridge building where some people are used to. We get on the bridge, we sing Kumbaya, and then, you know, you have your time and I have my time. We really want to lift up the marginalized voices. And so a part of what you guys did, and this is the thing, and this is what I developed, you know, this this next process is what you guys did in the group. Like I'm talking about, you didn't try to dominate the conversation. You didn't try to make it and center the conversation on yourself. No one did that in our group, you know, and that happens in a lot of Be The Bridge groups where people take over the space. But you came and this is the things that you guys did in this group, the very things. And when I look back, I could almost get teary-eyed. It's like you listen, everything we gave you to read, articles at that time. We didn't have no plan. We didn't have no curriculum. You know, we were using restorative justice model. Kim was giving us questions. I was giving us questions. I was sending out stuff that we can read and all those different things. And you guys were reading. We were talking about the things in the news that was happening. You were listening. You were learning. You were lamenting. We cried. You cried with us. We were outside one time. And you guys were so busy. You were kicking off stuff. Jessica was traveling. But you would show up, you know, like when anybody could, they would show up. And um, and we were, you know, you lamented with us. And then what you did was you leverage your privilege, you know. And when I say leverage, it's like the spaces that you had some authority in, you made sure that we were in those spaces. For instance, like I was on your podcast. I'm just now getting started. And you had me on your podcast. That was a risk for you at the beginning, you know, to have me on this podcast and talk about this racial stuff. You were talking about stuff on your podcast, you know, and just everyone in there, they they leverage their privilege in that sense. And that's what this work is about. That's what Be The Bridge. Now, there's a lot of other bridge building you can do. But to me, that is the core and the foundation of what we're doing Um, and be the bridge moving toward racial reconciliation because it requires a different formula. 
when we're talking about that. Yeah, Tasha, one of the things that I think that you just mentioned, which I think is so important, is about how in that group, we listened, we lamented, and we Mm. didn't try to push anything away. Yeah. I see that as probably, you can speak to this more, Mm -hmm. but I see that as one of the number one things that people do when listening to someone and their pain and what they've been through mm-hmm. is say a couple things. It's not that bad. Mm-hmm. It's 2019. Mm-hmm. This was a long time ago. Mm-hmm. That doesn't really happen. Right. And nobody said that. No, but I, that was not our experience in that group. Um, you know, you were vulnerable, um, but there was just a posture of humility. There were a lot of, and, we didn't, and the thing is, because like just the Christian world is so segregated, like I didn't know, I didn't even know. I had never read a book Jenny wrote. <laughs> I didn't even know who she was, you know, in that sense. I knew she had this conference, but I didn't even, the magnitude of it, I didn't really get. And um, Jessica, I had no idea who she was, you know. You were just getting started, you know. I didn't even know your husband was a worship leader. You know, all those yeah. things didn't matter. We didn't talk about any we of those things. We didn't talk about any of them. We didn't talk about any of those things. And but I just realized when I first started, I was like, these girls are not going to show up. They're not. I just, I was like, they, they're going to start this and they're not going to follow through. That's what I, I really thought. And, um, and then it, we're going to start it and we're not going to still remain friends. <laughs> you know, it's just going to be a one-off. It was going to be a hit and run, you know. Um, but you showed up and, you know, and here we are, 2019, yeah. you know, basically like five years later and we're sitting here and it's not like we're just talking now. I get texts from you. We talk, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's those things that that's what the group is about. Yeah. And so listening is just so key. And I think we're here now because you did have a posture of humility um, in this conversation. I think that's what you have to start with. You came in there ready to learn. You, you, had, you had skin in the game, you know, because of your children. Mm-hmm. Um, you were invested. Um, so I think those are some of the elements yeah. that it takes. But I think if we come in there with humility mm-hmm. and then also doing, you know, your part yeah. of it, I think these groups can be, you know, um, really beneficial for a lot of people. But we've done a lot of stuff because of our group was so different. And it was just it wasn't even a test group. We, we didn't, didn't even know we were testing nothing. <laughs> we didn't know we just got together. <laughs> and so now, in hindsight, we have some pre-group um, deconstructing stuff to help the conversation go um, better, where it's some stuff we're creating for people of color um, to deal with internalized racism and just um, disunity in um, non-white groups. We're creating some materials around that that'll be finished this year. And then we created some stuff to help um those that are white to really dig deep into what is white identity, yeah. what is white culture, you know, mm-hmm. to do some of that work um, before getting to these groups where you come together, where you could have a, you know, yeah. a mess mm-hmm. um, because that wasn't our experience. Yeah. So I didn't even know that we needed those. And things. then you get other people together and it gets, goes crazy. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, mm-hmm. you know, I would say like the things that I learned from you and mm-hmm. from that group that have really benefited me mm-hmm. just as um, someone who has a, influence in the mm-hmm, world and mm-hmm. someone who's a Christian. Like, you right. know, I follow Jesus. And so you influenced me in these ways. Number one, I learned is that when, what is that quote? What do they tell Spider-Man or Superman? With much is given, much yeah, is expected. Right, right. <laughs> I always mess that up because I don't yeah. watch those movies. But I think it was <laughs> Superman. Yeah. Am I right? Or Spider-Man? 
I think I it's think it was one of those superhero. I like Marvel movies, but <laughs> I do remember it's like to whom much is given, much is required. Yes, something yes. like you. There's a responsibility exactly. that comes with the gift. Yes, yes. And so I don't take that lightly in a lot right, of areas. If right. I'm like preaching, I don't take that lightly. Mm, you know. So, mm. but in this area as well, I feel like, man, God, you have given me listeners. Mm. You have given me readers. And so I don't take that lightly. Mm. And what can I do to help elevate other people and like Mm -hmm. make people see what I've seen? Mm. And so my eyes have been open. And the second thing I have learned in the past five years, just from being your friend and lots of other friends and books and all kinds of things that I've spent time with is we, if we're, if I'm a Christian and you're a Christian, we have something unique that right. I don't share with somebody who's not a Christ follower. Mm. And that is that you're my sister. Right. Like when we die, we go on, we actually end up together forever. Right. And so to me, it's, I see those verses like mourn with those who mourn. And so when I hear my brothers and sisters of color say experiences to me or things to me, I no longer have the privilege of saying that can't be true because it's never happened to me. Mm. And so that has my eyes have been open to that in the past past five years. And so I'm thankful for that. I think of an instance, um, the happy hour is a fun show. Like I don't like controversy. So we we do fun things here, (laughs) right? And I love fun. Yeah, yeah, I love fun. Uh, And I get mostly great reviews. Mm. There was one that I just can't forget it. You remember the bad ones, right? Yeah, of course. So one of them came right after I did a show with uh, Sonia Richards-Ross. Yes. Uh Yes. Yes. And we talked about raising black children and maybe we even talked about police um, brutality and stuff. So we Mm -hmm. had that conversation. Mm -hmm. The review on my show was one star. I like your show until you get political. Oh, can I say something? I wish you would. Yeah, because this is the thing. Anytime. And this is the thing, the misconception. Um, Politics are about people, you know, and so when we're talking about someone's experience and their pain, and anytime we bring up race, race is always going to come with the word pol- political, but we have to talk about it because race is a, is a social and political construct. It was a racial hierarchy that was created to give some power and to oppress others. And that is the structure of our American context. And so when we bring up anything like that, it's always going to be controversy. But why wouldn't we talk about it? Yes. We, because first of all, it's simple. Mm-hmm. And we need to, as Christians, we are the ones that should be better prepared to talk about those things. Now, we don't have to be partisan. That's different, mm-hmm. you know? And when we're talking about the impact and if we look at the history of our country, there's a reason. And, you know, even with when you're bringing up police brutality, all those different things, everybody knows with anything, you're not talking about all things, you're talking about systemic. But what happens is we center ourselves because we are an individualistic society and we make it about us, we make it about our experience or we make it about the one officer that we know or my husband or da-da-da-da, all these different things, you see. But I can look at this in a collective and I'm looking at this as a system, uh, in just system because we never deconstructed the foundations that the systems in our country were made on after slavery. 
you know, through Reconstruction, through Jim Crow, all those different things. And so we have to give voice to those things. And it's not to tear it down. It's like, well, it is kind of like to to tear tear down that part. Exactly. But also at the same time, build up. Yeah. Because we know we need that. We know at the at the end of the day, if something happened to me, guess who I'm calling? I'm calling the officers. But I do think twice as it relates to the situation. If there was a family conflict, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I know. You know, because I know... And not to say, I don't know who I'm going to get. That's exactly And this right, is the yeah. thing. I have several police officers in my family. My uncle is the police chief in a town in North Carolina. I support my, I come from a military family, you know? So those are the things. So I can criticize and hold something, an institution to is, is, is best, you know, without saying that I'm against, right. you know, or yeah. I hate, you it's know, good. it's just that because I see the need and I see the value. I want it to be at its best. The same thing with the church. Yes. There's a lot of things I talk about. The church created the infrastructure, not just complicit. You know, we had segregated church, just like we had segregated communities, neighborhoods, and schools. So just because I talk about those things and say, hold us to a better standard or higher standard and say, how do we undo this? Yeah. Why aren't we working on that? That doesn't make me like, showing partisanship Mm -hmm. that makes me a part of the kingdom of God and that's a third space and so the systems of this world are not the systems of our world Mm. and so we are supposed to be a third space and so the things I'm saying I said yesterday and when I taught is the things that are legal are not always just and the things that are just are not always legal and as a Christian we always err on the side of justice Mm. you know and I mean because that is the essence of who Jesus is. Mm. You know what I'm saying? When we think about the work of reconciliation, it cannot be done without justice being applied. Mm-hmm. Justice and righteousness, you know? And so I think that's the thing that we have to hold. We want to pick sides. Mm-hmm. Like we want to get in, I'm in this corner or you in this corner. We want to mm-hmm. categorize. Mm-hmm. We want to categorize and create these hierarchies like we do naturally in our society. But we have to kind of pull ourselves from that system and be that third space. You yeah. know, we got to be the Starbucks. Is it? That's right. <laughs> Guys, I'm going to stop in the middle of my interview with Latasha because I want to thank some of our sponsors today because sponsors make the happy hour happen. So we're happy for them. We're thankful for them. Today's show is sponsored by Rothy's. Have you heard about this company making stylish shoes out of recycled plastic water bottles? I'm not kidding, guys. I have a pair. They are making stylish shoes, and they really are out of recycled plastic water bottles. Rothy's has quickly grown to a most loved, gotta have them brand. Rothy's really are more than just a pair of shoes. Their company is working to create sleek and stylish shoes that reduce waste in our world. I love this about their company, and I was recently on their webpage looking at their new designs because what's cool about Rothy's is they are constantly getting new designs. I mean, you find one you like, and you go back in a month later, and it's gone, which is awesome because they have new stuff all the time. I recently saw this fabulous new pair that I've got my eye on. It's in their Chelsea line of sneaker high tops, which I see all the cool kids wearing, so I need to get on that, and they're in a leopard print. Yes, I want them on my body. They look amazing. Rothy's are the perfect everyday shoe for life on the go. They're stylish and comfortable, and they come in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns, and styles. They have sneakers and loafers and points and so much more. Plus, since Rothy's are seamlessly knit using thread made from plastic water bottles, they're ultra-comfortable as soon as you slip them on. Better yet, Rothy's has diverted over 35 million water bottles from landfills already. 
Another major bonus in my eyes, you guys, they are fully machine washable. Check out all the amazing styles available right now at rothys.com slash Ivy. Shipping, returns, and exchanges are free, so there's no risk, no worries, no reason not to try. Go to Rothy's, that's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash Ivy. That's my last name, you guys, I-V-E-Y, to get your new favorite flats. Comfort, style, and sustainability, these are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com slash Ivy today. Today's show is also brought to you by Flamingo. All right, guys, it's finally getting cool enough to get in our bed at night with all the blankets and covers on us with a fresh pair of sheets. There's maybe not much better than that. Well, actually, one thing might be better, and that's sliding into bed with freshly shaven, moisturized legs. You guys, oh my gosh, that's where Flamingo comes in. They're offering body care for women with hair, a great razor, shave gel, body lotion, the works. You guys, I love the razor set that I have from Flamingo. I got the entire set, which has the lotion and the shave gel and the razor and a replacement. And I have the tarot and rose gold color razor, which, listen, it's not about looking good, but it doesn't hurt that it looks good in my shower. The shave gel is so fabulous and leaves my skin so soft and silky smooth. And the travel bag is perfect for life on the go. And it fits in my makeup bag for when I travel I'm in love with these razors. Think about it. You probably spend more than $16 on razors and blades already. So with the Flamingo Shave Set, you can upgrade for less or the same as you're paying now, including the parts that you skimp on like shave gel and exfoliating lotion, because those are parts that I skimp on, but not anymore. They even send you a shower holder, you guys. So Flamingo Shave Set features their award-winning products for just $16, and it ships free directly to your door. If I were you, I would try the Flamingo Shave Set right now. It's a $22 value for just $16 with free shipping today when you visit shopflamingo.com slash happy hour. That's right. Visit shopflamingo.com slash happy hour. Okay, guys, here is the rest of my conversation with Latasha Morrison. Tasha, everything that you have been talking about, Mm -hmm. if people are listening and they're just wildly confused. Right. Or they have they feel like we're talking like Charlie mm-hmm. Brown's teacher. Like I've never heard this in my entire life. <laughs> right. Or they're just thinking, I want to learn more. Right. Can I tell you that your book, Be the Bridge, that comes out next week, you break down things yeah. in a way that A, I was like Amen on the beach of Panama City <laughs> when I was reading it this summer. Oh, great. You can see my book is worn. Yes, it's probably got wore, sand in like, here. I, I was like, you read that sand. book. Yeah, I read it. Every page of it. But also I thought about my brothers and sisters who are new on this journey Mm -hmm. or new to these ideas or they have not had these conversations. I think your book was readable for me who's been Mm -hmm. having conversations like this for five years. Right. And it would have been readable for me five years ago. Right. I think so. I think I tried to kind of weave in personal stories um, historical context that Lots really- Lots of historical context yes. that I had never heard of. Right. I know. And that's, it the, was good. that's the part where we really want, that challenges people in that sense. But then also bringing it back to a story of someone that's connected to Be The Bridge, you know? And so we did a lot of things in the book, but I think it's one of those on ramps to understand like this process of reconciliation, a true process of reconciliation in a personal context. And so, and I love history because I feel like all this work, um, not that I feel like, I'm just going to say this work has to be rooted in truth. And, you know, we've misinterpreted history. We've changed narratives. So it's important for us to establish some 
the foundation and some basics to correcting some of those misinterpretations, you know, and for people to seek those things out. There's, I mean, how many times I post something and someone will tell me that that's not true. And I'm like, yes, it is true. Here's the, here are the sources, but they were told something different in school or they were given a different narrative, especially here in the beautiful state of Texas, you know, (laughs) it's like, I love this state. I'm telling you, but you really need to read some historical context, some books, some foundational documents um, from our, from our government to really start understanding some of the brokenness. Yeah. And again, I'll say it again. Some some people are going to hear you say that and they're going to get all tight. Like, what do you mean? we've been taught something wrong or false and that's going to really bother people. And so all I'm asking listeners to do is be open-handed. Yes. To just be willing to listen and not come out as, well, that cannot be true. You're just saying that. Um, I'm just hearing what some people might be thinking. Like open your heart. Like you have to open your heart and say, you know what? Maybe there are some things that, I mean, because even for me, we all have to be teachable. Yes. Even in this work, I don't know everything, you know? So we all have to be teachable. And I think just coming at it with a place of humility, approaching it that way, but not like, let me tell you something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And I think that's hard for a lot of people. And this is the thing, no one can make you do anything, you know? And and so if this is something that you're like, I really want to know more, then I would say this is like step into this. I feel like this this uh, material, our organization is definitely an on-ramp for, for people like that. But if you're like, you know, hands crossed and like, I'm just tired of it, then it's not for you. And mm. this is the thing, even as, although we love people deeply, it's like, I cannot change someone's heart. It's true. You know, and that's the part where I have to learn to, that's why I have to hold this work open-handedly. It's not my work, you know? And so I'm like, that's the transformation that God has to do in someone. And it may not be my organization. It may not be your organization or your podcast, but maybe someone else will come along that will be able to prick, mm-hmm. you know, um, truth, yeah. um, you know, into someone. And so that's the part where I have to turn it outward in the sense where I can't take it personal. Yeah. You know, what you may, you may have just answered what I'm about to ask you, but what has been the hardest thing in the past five years about starting this, running it, giving everything you have to this organization? You know, um, because I can definitely see that this is something (laughs) that I've been called to. I get energized by it, but there's also, there's, it never stops. It never ends. There's always something, you know, Uh, I'm looking at my schedule. I'm looking at, because there's, you have to educate yourself. So at the same time, you're helping others you have to, the same thing as your Christian walk, you never arrive. Right. You never arrive. And um, and so, and then on the top of that, not only are we having these conversations, I'm also in the process of building an organization. So you have people stuff going on. You have organizational leadership and structures and consultants and making sure, you know, your, your infrastructure is set up right, making sure you're paying your taxes, you know, all these different things that you have to do along with the hard stuff, yeah. you know? And so that can be um, draining, you know, those parts. So thank God for, you know, Facebook and <laughs> for some resources through that grant that helped me 
actually do this work full time and also bring someone, people along to help me do this yeah, work because yeah. it is valuable. And I and I see that if organizations like that can see that it's valuable, I'm hoping that the people kingdom can. of God yeah. and the church can see the the value of this and invest in this. You know, mm-hmm. we we do it with everything else. We yeah. do it with wells and all these different things. Can we invest in the infrastructure and the future of our country mm. as it relates to racial healing? You know what I'm saying? It's like that. I mean, that means a lot because this is the thing you said this. You said when we get to um, heaven, we're going to we're brothers and sisters now. And I always say this. Look, and we're going to look the same as we look now. Yes, exactly. So it's like on earth as it is in heaven. Uh-huh. I want a little bit of heaven now. You know, mm-hmm. and this is the thing. If we don't get it right now, it's not like something's going to click and you're like, okay, I'm going to be not anti-racist in, in heaven. Like, yeah. we need you to be anti-racist now, yeah. not just non-racist. Mm-hmm. We need you to be anti-racist. We need you to engage in this work. We need you to use your voice. You know, we don't need you to be silent and complicit. You know what I'm saying? And there's a way that you can do that. There's small ways that people can do that, you know, where there's educating yourself, where there's Everybody's not going to use social media. I would rather see you doing this in your personal life than to see you all on social media, you know, being a slacktivist, Uh (laughs) you know, and not doing anything in your real life. Teach your children. Make sure you have a different legacy, you know. Um, So, you know, so I think that's the thing is we have to realize that we take, you know, our ethos, we take this into eternity with us. And so if you don't like different cultures now, different languages you may not like heaven. I'm just saying. Because <laughs> it's going to look like this. I'm just saying because my chocolate face is going to be there. Exactly. I know. I know. There. Well, In full effect. Well, yes. In all God's glory. Yes. Yes. And it just matters. Yes, it, it does. It matters for today, which is just what you're saying. Um, I just want to tell people, your book comes out next week. I Whenever I have people on and they have books coming out, uh-huh. we like mention it. But right. I want oh. my show to be about the person. I'm telling you, I want everyone to go buy this oh book. Oh my goodness. I cannot, Thank I cannot you. tell you enough how much you need this book in your oh life. Oh my goodness. I told everyone, everyone in America needs to read Just Mercy and I want yes. all my listeners to go get Be the Bridge. Okay. Oh my goodness. But I want to tell you, because you do a couple things in here. The first part is about lament. And yeah. I think that's important to start. That's why yes. you started it there. Yes. Uh, but it's important for us, even um, everybody, mm-hmm. To lament mm-hmm. things that have happened. Yeah. And I think that is where um, majority culture can get hung up. Exactly. I don't need to lament. I didn't do anything wrong. Right, right. So I love that you started there. And then about confession and forgiveness. And then you went on to restorative reconciliation. Right. And I, you know, I think that this is important work for everybody because yeah. even myself, I'm 41. I did not grow up when my mm-hmm. parents did in the right. 60s. Right. And I would say, I'm not racist, mm-hmm. but I've had to address narratives that were mm-hmm. in me mm-hmm. that I didn't even know about just mm-hmm. from where I grew up, my culture, my family, everything. Right. Right. And so I think I just want, I cannot stress enough, and you are too, I'm, I'm trying to speak mm-hmm. for you here. People, I cannot stress enough, it's important to do the work in this. Right, right. You see, and that's the thing where, you're leveraging your privilege. But, you know, just in that sense, and this is from your own experience and you see the value of this. And I think even your passion has grown even over the years where like 
at first we start out, we're trying to learn, but as we go, there's things that happen. There's things that you begin to see where this, this message grows in you. And I think everyone has that story, even myself, because the, you know, I didn't grow up in inner city. I grew up in suburban America. You know, my experiences, you know, um, have been limited, but I do not deny the fact of, you know, friends that have grown up in East Orange, New Jersey right. and friends that, you know, all these different things that happen. A lot of those things have not happened to me personally, but I do not deny the fact that they have happened. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, so it's important for me to know and understand and read history just like anyone else. So the same work you're putting in, that's the same work that I put in yeah. too, you know? Yeah. And, and and the thing is, we are collective as the body of Christ. We are a collective group. We're not individualistic. The Bible is collective. I mean, think about the sins of Achan. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and just like if we talk about the story of Esther, you know, she was good. She was in the house. Yep. She was comfortable. Yep. You know, but there was a responsibility. So we didn't break it. Mm-hmm. We've inherited a mess. Generations, they inherited a mess. But the thing is, it's all of our responsibility to put some skin in the game and start repairing this. So we're leaving a better future, a legacy to this next generation. You, you know, the next generation, 80% of what they learn is from their parents. Mm. So we can't say that things are going to be undone with the next generation. If we don't do the work to equip them, to leave tools and resources for them to do that narrative deep work, then they're going to be the, in the same position that we are like and looking like, why didn't they fix this? You know, and I feel like my parents' generation, like your parents' generation, especially my dad and them, you know, after the 60s, they were tired. Yeah. Their parents were tired. Uh-huh. They were traumatized, you know. And so it was just kind of like, let me go in my <laughs> let me yeah. go in my box. And it's not to say everyone was like that, but they lost a lot. When I started doing this work at the time, my grandmother passed in 2016. When I she knew that I was doing this work, she didn't want me to do it. Mm. Because everyone that she knew that was involved in anti-racism work, they were murdered. Mm. And she didn't want me to do it. Like my grandma, I mean, so when we think about that, you know, they were tired. They were fearful. You know, the thing to create fear, racial terror had worked, you know, on a lot of people. Everybody wasn't marching with King. You know, everybody wasn't, you know, um, riding on the buses, the Freedom Riders, you know, everyone was in their houses. Yes, they were in their houses because they didn't want you to stir up trouble because they knew what racial terror looked like. Yeah. They have been tormented, you know, for decades, for centuries. This is generational trauma. And so now when I look at my people and I look at the history, there are issues in our communities. But when we think about the gravity of what our community have, has been through, we are resilient people. Mm. You know, we are brilliant people and we are people that are forgiven. Because there's not one instance in history, considering our history in the world, and even as you can see with natives and and indigenous people, it's like there's never been any retaliation. This is not about retaliation. This is not about anything like that. This is like so that all may flourish. You know, this is about dignity. This is about humanity, you know. And so we have to have a kingdom perspective in this. And I think there's some people that don't understand kingdom agenda and I think that's the part that really needs to be taught in a lot of churches, you know, how God's kingdom is not empire. Mm. Empires come and go and they fall. But the kingdom of God will remain forever. 
And that's the side we have to be on. So I think that's important. It's so important. And I think when you talk about historical narratives, I think I don't have a, a reason to say what I think is one of the most important things for people to understand, but it comes very high to the list right now of people to in books like yours and in other books where we can see when you say what my people have been through for hundreds and hundreds of years, that can be lost on the majority culture and then things don't make sense. But when you put your head around where what an entire people have been through, then you can go, okay, I can see this a lot more clear that they have not had dignity ever. They have not had the same rights. It has not been freedom for all. It has not been that, even when sometimes the law said that it was supposed to be. So I think that is really great to understand why this matters and why it's important for the people who might go, I don't know what the big deal is, it's 2019. But when you go back, it makes a lot more sense. Um, Tasha, beautiful work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. It means a lot. And we're going to, in our show notes, we'll tell everyone how to be a part of Be The Bridge. Right, right. So we're not going to go into that here, but we're going to tell everyone how to be a part of that. Um, I want to turn the tables just a little bit and talk about something else that I know you're passionate about. Okay? (laughs) Okay. Single people in the church. Oh, okay, okay. Can we go there? Yeah, we can go there. Let's go there. Let's go there. Because um, I think I would imagine that um, singleness as a Christ follower Uh looks different in your 20s, 30s, 40s. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about what does that look like for you and the work that you're doing in the church? Do you feel often marginalized within the church because of your marital status? You know, um, I would say yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the reason why I say that, you know, being single in your 40s is totally different in your 20s and 30s. You know, it's different. And so at some point you kind of give up, you know, like you you give up what I would say you kind of give up because church has become family centered. Mm-hmm. And so you feel like you have no place. And I think there's, you know, the church I'm in now because it's smaller it's a little different, but I think most of my friends that are my age, they're not now as engaged in church as they were in their thirties and twenties. People are really falling away. They're doing community things. We're having prayer groups or Bible studies. It's just looking different. And I really think the church has to rethink how they reach out to singles. You know, they reach out to singles as a mindset as everyone's in their twenties. And when you look, especially when you look at the African-American community, and um, the statistics as far as, as it relates to single women. And, you know, there's like in our churches, like especially African-American churches, there's 20 women to one man, you know, and they know that, Uh huh. you know. Yes. And so and so it just, you know, so when I think you, that I would say I don't have a stat. I would think that might be true. Yeah, across the board. Yes. Yes. Not I just mean, African-American I think churches. so. I think yeah. so. It's like and you have more women in that are like engaged in church and stuff like that. So I think um, we have to look at even some of the other elements of where people are going, where they see themselves valuable, where there's like justice work, where there's a, a purpose connected to it and different things like that. But a lot of what we do, I mean, think about women's ministries, you know, um, I'm just going to be honest. Single ministries don't work for me. Mm-hmm. They don't, I don't, I, I, I've been doing this for a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need people to tell me what I need to do, what I don't need to watch, all this different uh-huh. stuff. And even the way we view a lot of things, you know, we can't, I know we're not going to have time to get into it, you know, um, but even how we view, you know, sex, all that stuff, 
it's different for a 40 year old than it is for a 20 year old. And those are conversations we need to have. And I don't think uh, the church is a safe space or a brave space for us to really unearth um, some of those things. And I think probably one of the safest places that I had um, this lady named um, Jackie Reese. Um, She used to do Bible studies here Uh and she had this different view on singleness that I think is just more forward thinking um, that when I would go to her Bible study, she had some sessions on it. And the way she viewed it to me was just very scriptural, but looking through the text a little different. And I think um, just some of her teachings for me have, have been helpful, um, you know, in, in this walk. And I think I'm still learning. It's something I'm still processing. It's something I don't talk about a lot. You know, I, I'm still trying to find the words to talk about it because I still deal with a lot of insecurities as it relates to singleness. And I still deal with a lot of like, um, I feel like lost hopes, you know, and I don't feel like I could be vulnerable like that. Cause you know, somebody's going to tell me, Oh girl, just believe God. I don't need to hear that. Uh-huh, right. Right. <laughs> or wanna, one day. Exactly. I don't yeah. want to hear that. You know, there's things that dream that I, that had to die. You know, when you turn 40, that's a whole nother. I, I believe I was, I really believe that I was depressed for three years after <laughs> I turned 40. Like I could not even say the word. I could not even say the word. And I was doing wonderful things. Yeah. I was doing great things. I felt like I was in a great space, but it, it wasn't something that I felt like I could talk about because I don't, I didn't feel like I was going to hear the right thing in yeah. return, but I didn't even know what the right thing was. I didn't know what yeah. I needed to hear. Yeah. And so I stu- I'm a stuffer anyway. And so I stuff a lot. And so you just kind of go through, you know, but then I had this community of ladies that were around the same age or just a little bit younger where we can kind of talk about those things. But even with us, the way the church, I think, has created some shame around it. You know, and some, you know, so it was like you could, really couldn't be honest on where you were, mm. you know, um, even with each other. Yeah. So I think that's a conversation um, I've been thinking about just internally, like I really want to start talking about it more. I think there needs some bridge, needs to be some bridge building with that. And I don't know what that looks like, but um, I think you know, maybe God wants me to talk about it a little bit more, you know, because this was really vulnerable because I don't talk about this a lot. Well, you know? I'm glad you did. <laughs> but I do have a question about that. Uh-huh. Um, you said the church hasn't felt like a safe, brave yeah. place, mm-hmm. which I'm going to use brave place from now yeah. on. I like that a lot. Uh, what is the church? And I mean the church, not uh-huh. your church or my church. Right. The church as a whole, oh, right. the big church. What do we need to do? to mm-hmm. make that a brave place? Like, is it language? Is it inclusion? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it relates to gender too, because we just, the church has so many issues, you know, with the Me Too movement, all these different things that the, and that flows over into single women, because I feel like sometimes you're looked at like a threat, like, uh, you know, oh, a single woman can't be with a married man. And, you know, just like, if you're doing ministry together, even how the church hired, think about how many single women are on full-time staff in leadership roles other than singles ministry or children's ministry in a church, you know? And we are doing some... You can do it. Okay. (laughs) We are doing some things out there. (laughs) But there are some single women. And I think when you look out in the world and you look at some of the things that are starting, startups, you look at corporations, how they're seeing that and valuing that. You look at the Bible and see how it was valued. Mm -hmm. It was, you were part of the same community. Yeah. But we've sexualized so many things, you know, um, in our community. And instead of really dealing with the root of mm-hmm. things and, you know, we've, 
you know, we blame women for a lot of things. Yeah. And I think that's the way we've created mm-hmm. our infrastructures yeah. as it relates to yeah. um, to churches, you know. And when our I, culture has exactly, walked through that. Exactly. I mean, you know, it is like, you look at this, the culture changes yes. over the last 50 years. Yes. And we've seen a lot of change. And I think the church got freaked out yeah. and scared. Yeah. And we're not going to let that happen to our entity. And it's and, an American thing because if you look at the political world outside of America and the direction that is headed when you look at Rwanda and Ethiopia and I, we could start naming mm-hmm. like there's something to that, you yeah. know, when you put um, empower women. And I think some of the impact of that has been the church doesn't know what to do with older single women. Mm. They're looking for the solutions too. So I really think it's going to take some radical thinking yeah. around that. I think it, we need to dream. I think single women, we need to talk about it more. We need to have hard conversations and not just single women. I think they're brave married women that are not trying to box in the conversation. I think they need to be a part of the conversation too. But I think if you have a lot of the traditional views in some ways, I think we need some new thinking around what this looks like and what the community of God looks like. Mm-hmm. But I think even as we see church, you know, it's shifting, it's changing, you know, um, multicultural church and multi-ethnic church are the churches that are really starting to take off. We think about the millennials now, that this new generation that's coming along and especially white millennials are turning from, I think they're turning from the church, the institution of church in that sense. But I think if we really look at statistics, they're, they're, they're still spiritual. Some of them have faith, but it just looks different, you know. But that's not the same when you're talking about African-American millennials. It's a little different. They're mm. turning to faith more, but there's still a decline, but they're turning to faith. So those things are different. So I think there's a lot of conversations that need to happen. And we just need to create some space to, to dream and to have some really non-traditional conversations around it. Mm, yeah. That's good. Um, okay, so what I heard you say is you're starting a new Facebook group for singles that they can come <laughs> on. Yeah. I'm just kidding. I don't, you know, I think, I think I probably, you know, with me, this work always happens internally with me yeah, first. Yeah. Um, there were things that I was doing personal leading up to even having the conversation with your group. So I think a lot of this is stuff that I walk through first. And Which is good. I think mm-hmm. God shows me and and prompts me. And, mm-hmm. you know, then I do it with a small group. And then, you know, we'll see what happens, yeah. you know. But I do think I, I see the need because I see it in my friends. Yeah. You know, I see it in people that I'm associated with. Yeah. And, you know, so I think it's hard out there. It is. And you know something I've learned over the last five years um, with getting to speak more, and I've mm-hmm. had to learn this the hard way, is it's it's natural what we do is we we speak to what we know. Mm-hmm. So when I would um, be at a church teaching or something, my illustrations and examples would mm-hmm. be about motherhood and marriage. Yeah. Because I'm married and I'm mom mm-hmm. of four kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had some great people speak into me and say, hey, you're lacking a lot and you're missing a lot of the people out there yeah. when those are your only illustrations. Right. And so it's more work for me because I don't have those personal illustrations. Right. I have to dig deeper as the as women as a whole. Uh, but I try to work at that. I fail a lot, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Uh, but I think that's one of the things that even that can change, you know, mm-hmm. is I would like to see more 
if you're at a, a church where, you know, men are preaching only, I would like to see more of them use quotes from women's books. Yeah, yeah. There I are mean, a lot of smart women out there writing books. Exactly. Just even just even in stuff like that, I think, you know, like you said, it takes more work. It does. And then a lot of times when you have people talking, to you know, they've been married since they were in their 20s. And so if you don't, brought in the same thing when we're talking about diversify your life, diversifying your life as it relates to your friendships too with women. You know, it's like this thing where single women, unless you were friends before, you can't befriend a single, uh, you know, uh, a married friend. You know, single women need married friends and married friends need single women. I've been blessed and I know um, others have been blessed to have, you know, my my best friends are married. All my best friends are married and they have never treated me differently. You know, I've been invited on vacations, you know, I've been invited, you know, on, um, you know, to be godchildren of their, of you know, of their children, where it's not like you have to be married to be my child's godchild, you know, mm-hmm. or something like that. But those little things like that, you know, and I think we're still growing, and even in our conversation where they're still growing too, and how to relate and connect to me, especially as I get older, where there's certain things that now that I speak up and say, no, I don't want to do that right there. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to go with you and all these married ladies to this retreat uh-huh. and it's going to turn into da 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 You know, and just really speaking up about those things. And also, not only, I don't want to be your only black friend, I don't only want to be your only single friend. You know, I need you to have multiple single friends. I need you to have single guy friends that you can hook me up with. <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, where it's like, um, you know, just having those real conversations. And I think that's just something that, I'm getting language for yeah. and I'm processing and I still need to process, you know, so and I think but I think it's great that you're thinking like that, you know, even as you ask questions, your your questionnaire for your podcast, stuff like that, you know, how you say, what else do you want to talk about? And I think that's something that I put down yeah. to, to kind of like really um put it out there a little bit, but just stuff like that. Cause it's hard and we're confused right now. Like mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that's confused because you didn't envision your life like this. Yeah. And so it's like you're having to have a new vision of what life is like, you know, and then also being content where God has you and still doing the things that God called you to do mm. in the midst of all your doubt and and, and sometimes heartache, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and so it's no different. There's probably more that you and I have in common than not in uh, some areas right, and right. some spaces. Yeah. We all deal. We, I could think like, you don't because you have children, you're married. There's no, um, you know, there's no issues with self-esteem or, you know, that I'm not enough. You know, all those different things. And when we look at it, we are dealing with the same, same things, thing. but we don't talk about yep. it. Because yep. you feel like you need to talk about it with married people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I need to talk about it with single people. But what more could we be when we talk about with the com- community of God, when we think about the early church, there were all types of people. Yeah. You know, socioeconomic has different things. There's something that we can get from everyone. And I think everyone needs to be a part of the community. We don't need to isolate people, single moms, you know, widows, you know, like where's their place? You yeah. know, yeah. the conversation you're having with the 20 year old telling her how to keep herself. How are you going to have that conversation with a widow? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Come yeah. on now. Like, yeah. it's like, that looks different. Yep. That looks different. And it we does. need to be open to that. So I love it. Um, uh, Tasha, you challenged me. Yeah, I did. You encouraged <laughs> me. You inspire me. Uh, you're doing such good work. And I'm so excited to see what the next five years look like. 
for you. I may wake up and say, and take be the all bridge. this out. No, you will not. And I'll say, no, it was so good. <laughs> um, okay, I always finish the show asking people what they're loving and what they're reading. Okay. Anything you're loving or reading these days? Um, right now, I'm loving like leg massages. <laughs> Oh, just legs, just legs Legs, and foot. Legs and foot because back sometimes they can they can Uh, be a little rough. You know what uh I'm saying? And I think I'm a little sensitive, Uh a little tender. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so I love that. I love like you know um, facials. Uh, I I really love. I want to do more. You touch me, I'm happy. Yeah. (laughs) You know, oh, yeah. Before I didn't like that, but Uh I do like facials and stuff like that. So I think that's a part of self care. So I'm loving, you know, those things. And some of the things I'm reading um, would be The Advantage. There's this book, this other book that I'm reading called The Color of Compromise. And it really talks about the church, the history of the church, and how the church has been complicit. Um, So, yeah. Jamar? Yeah, Jamar Tisby. I have it you here know. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so one that I'm going to start is um, this is this book by Karen Gonzalez. And I and the name just completely left me. The God Who Sees is Karen Gonzalez's okay. book, The God Who Sees. Okay. But it's really her um, immigrant story. And oh. so that's one that I really want to dive into and, and, and read. So I, I, I have books. Listen, I have audio books. Uh-huh. I have books that I read when I'm in the bathroom. Yep, I know. A book by my bed, uh-huh. you know. A book everywhere. <laughs> yeah, a yep. book everywhere, yep. you know. But, and so, and then I just, I kind of read um, like bits and pieces. Like I read a couple chapters here, a couple chapters there. I come back to books. Now, one that I just read, what was the book that um, I just, Home Going. It's such a beautiful book. You would love it. And is Jamie. it a novel? Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's a novel. Okay, okay. And I don't read a lot of novels. Yeah, See, I read I a lot either. of historical things. Uh-huh. And so that was one for me. I was like, I need to read this. I need to do this. It was it was a little heavy at first, yeah. but it really talks about I want you okay. I just want you to go out. I'm gonna get it. Okay, Tasha, this is something I have said a thousand times, mm-hmm. and I've told you this before, I've said on the show before, is that these conversations really matter to me because mm-hmm. I have three black children. Yeah. Um but they should matter to you even if you don't have black children. Yes, and yeah. I think that is what is so difficult yeah. because it doesn't seem as important if you don't have skin mm-hmm. in the game. But the truth is, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we, we have all skin. have skin in the game. We have skin. We've been called to the ministry we of reconciliation. We have been called to it and we are one yes. body and we yes. are to be here yes. for each other. And so that's what I always want. Yeah. When you talk about leveraging your privilege mm-hmm. is that's what I always want my white sisters to know is that you do have skin in the game and it's important for you to teach your kids that they have skin in the game because there is this privilege that comes and you don't even realize it. Mm. I have skin in the game. This is important to my husband and I. And let me tell you this example that I use often to show Mm. people how you have privilege and don't even know it. Mm -hmm. About a year and a half ago, we were watching a documentary on PBS about media in the in with Martin Luther King. Okay. Mm -hmm. Just a, a random show about media and how, whatever. And as we're watching it, they then fast forwarded to like the tooth, like right mm-hmm. now, current, and how media has helped get messages out that we mm-hmm. may not have known about Trayvon or all these other mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. 25 years ago right. without the media. So we're watching it. One of my sons who's black uh, has a moment that night in bed. I might have told you the story. Mm-hmm. Cries. Will this happen to yeah. me? Yeah. And I had to sell I him. I hope not. Me that. Yeah. Here's where privilege comes in. I have skin in the game. This matters to me. I read the books. I talk with my kids, all the things. I go back into the counter and this is no fault of his own. Mm-hmm. I sit down and my oldest son who's white says, why is he crying? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. And it just hit mm-hmm. me. He doesn't have to get it. Mm-hmm. 
and no one taught him that. Mm. That's what's so crazy to me, mm. Tasha. Wow. Is I never taught him, don't worry, this won't happen to you. Yeah. Where does it come from? Right. You he knew. I, do you know what I mean? He knew. We he and I and I I didn't reprimand him for that. Your condition. But we had a, but we had a great conversation yeah. about why that bothered wow. him because he's never seen that ever with someone that looks like him. Mm. But we see. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah. it was so eye opening to me, and I didn't feel guilty about it, right? Because right. I haven't like done this to right, him. Right. 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 We just. He'll never have because to you live in this society. Exactly. You're conditioned. It happens. It's the air that we breathe and it the is. water we we drink, yep. and we don't realize it. And then it takes things like this and conversations to kind of awaken you mm-hmm. from it. You know, kids start really categorizing at age three. Yeah, we've seen the studies. Hierarchies. With, yes, yes. Uh-huh. yes. There's documentation. Yeah. You know, um, in in this work, and so I think it's now how do you prepare your older son to leverage his privilege yeah, yeah. and how to listen yeah. and lament. And so mm-hmm. you can have, and it shows you exactly what you're saying. You can have proximity to people of color and still not get it. Mm-hmm. So proximity is not the ultimate goal. Proximity is just the beginning to get you in the room so that you can listen and do all these yeah. things that we're talking yeah. about and educate yourself. Yeah. But a lot of people have proximity, yeah. but they're not changed. Yeah. You know? Which I tell that story not to throw my son under the bus. Yeah, yeah, at but that's, all. A, that's great. But it, to say privilege is real. It is. And it you is. don't even have to be taught it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, Tasha, I love every single minute I get with I you. Know. Thank you for coming on the happy I hour. Know. You guys go get her book, Be the Bridge. You can order it now. Let me just educate you real quick. Pre orders matter, people. Yes. Pre orders matter. As two authors sitting here, they matter. And we have some goodies with our pre-orders. You do? I mean, some Tell things. Tell us, because they got a week. Yes, there's going to be some things where when you pre-order, you're going to have some opportunities to get some extras that are not a part of the book. There's some spoken word pieces that were actually um, designed for Be the Bridge. There's this um, special declaration that you would get before anyone else. Um, there's some there's some freebies, and there's also it depends on what how many you order. If you're a church and you're ordering, go for a it, whole people. bunch of books. Yep. You're going to get registered to have a full training session with the Be The Bridge team for your church. That is so good. And that is worth a lot of money because we charge a lot of money. And you should. Don't even (laughs) get me started on that. Uh, Churches, women's leaders. Y'all could do a whole book club. Yes. Men's ministry. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. If we can get some men's ministry to get this. You know, we'll 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 throw some stuff in there now. I like but we it. do have, and we'll send you a list of the campaign. Um, we can send you a list of that. What you have at different levels and stuff like that. Awesome. But yeah, it's gonna be some good stuff. Tasha, thank you for using your ministry, uh, kingdom minded. Thank you for doing the hard work. Um, I'll follow you wherever you go, and um, you're a joy. Thank you for coming on the happy hour. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey friends, I want to tell you about a ministry that is so near and dear to my heart. It's called If Gathering. If Gathering is a ministry that creates tools, events, and resources to equip women to live out their calling and go make disciples. On February 7th and 8th of 2020, they're hosting a conference in Dallas, Texas for two days, and we would love for you to join us. We are inviting you to come because we need each other, and we need a reminder of what is true. There's chaos in this world and chaos in our hearts. And for a weekend, we want to pause and remember that Jesus is our hope and our peace in the midst of it all. Every year, you guys, this event sells out very fast. So we have a special opportunity for you to buy your tickets 24 hours before the general public on October 14th. 
head on over to ifgathering2020.com to sign up for early ticket access and join me in Dallas for this special gathering. Friends, how much did you love Latasha Morrison? I told you, I told you that you would love her. I told you, I told you. I wanna encourage you in something. I wanna encourage you to dig into this conversation. These conversations can sometimes be a little uncomfortable for some people, or you could also feel as though this conversation doesn't matter to you because it's not a part of your life. What I would love for you to do is I would love for you to listen. I would love for you to lean in. I would love for you to say, this is my sister in Christ and I'm gonna listen to what she's saying. I'm gonna let her teach me. And I'm gonna leverage my privilege is what I'm gonna do as well. I mentioned Lauren McAvee's book. I wanna make sure you know that it's called Not What You Think, Why the Bible Might Be Nothing We Expected Yet Everything We Need. Don't forget, you guys, if you would like to be a part of our book club that we're doing through our Patreon party, it's going to be in place of our mini series. If you're a Patreon subscriber, you know what I mean when I say that. But come join us, jamieivy.com slash Patreon. We're going to have a special conversation with Latasha at the end of reading her book. We're going to read it together. We're going to dive in together and do some live things. And it's going to be a lot of fun. And then we're going to have two other books in November and December. So come check us out. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers, and this whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Next week, my guest is Jackie Velasquez. If you grew up in the church during the 90s and early 2000s, then you for sure know who this powerhouse singer is. Jackie's been making music for over 20 years and has experienced some painful re-scripting to her life. We talked about it, all from being childhood musician to being a mom with a kid who's diagnosed with autism. Be sure that you come back with me next week to catch that conversation. And don't forget, if you're in Dallas this week at the ERLC national event, please come say hi. If you live in Dallas, come join us in Aubrey, Texas for the Horses and Hope event. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend. Send it to a friend who you think needs to hear it. Have a happy hour with a friend, and I'll see you guys back here next week with Jackie Velasquez. <laughs>